This episode of the Total Life Complete podcast was originally recorded as a live video performance. To see the video, go to www.totallifecomplete.com, tlcpod.com, our Facebook page, or YouTube channel. Enjoy. Hi, it's Brett Cowell, and this is the Total Life Complete podcast, coming to you from another dimension. It's the Travelling Without Moving edition with Erica Felicella, extreme performance artist. Welcome, Erica. <laughs> Good evening, Brett. Well, what a way to spend a Saturday evening anyway. This is something completely different. So let's get straight into it. Um, how do you introduce yourself at a party when people ask who you are? <laughs> I love that question. Um, not so much, actually. But uh, there's a lot of different ways that I describe myself, but really I just say that I have a community problem. <laughs> it kind of leads from there. Uh, sometimes I say I'm a performance artist that usually confuses people. Uh, sometimes I just decide to say I work in the nonprofit industry in the arts. That, that seems to be a little bit more so, understanding. Uh, the theme for this series is about creativity. So I'm really overjoyed and grateful that we can start here with you. And um, so maybe we can just start by talking a little bit about your own creative journey. Um, when did you realize maybe that you were creative and how did you get up to your first performance in uh, being a performance artist? Well, it was, uh, as far as becoming a performance artist, that was pretty, pretty simple. It just kind of happened to me, um, as art and being an artist usually does. Uh, I was a commercial photographer and a fine art photographer prior to being a performance artist. And uh, somebody busted into my studio and stole all my equipment. And the very next idea that came to my mind was a performance work. And uh, I went into development for one solid year and then accomplished what was my first endurance performance. So it was a complete accident. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. It's my favorite medium and I can't imagine ever doing anything else with my art form. So you talked about accidents there. I wonder if accidents are really the unsung heroes of creativity. Absolutely. Um, so that might be number one on our list of how to be, be creative, have more accidents. I wonder if it's any sort of accident. Well, um, I know for my life personally, every accident that I've had has led me down the path that I'm at now. Um, everything from car accidents to running into individuals and knocking them over to equipment being stolen. Uh, every single one of these things would be considered an accident in traditional life. But for me, it has always led to the next stage of my creative endeavors. And uh, I call my, my life is full of happy accidents. Whether you just accidentally happen to say yes to a question the next thing you know, you end up down the path of business arts administration, or you just happen to accidentally have your equipment stolen, you end up doing really, really odd things. They're, uh, they've definitely been the path to my creativity. So there's got to be a life lesson in there. I think we all really try and over plan our lives and really uh, want to know what the future is going to be like and try and try and wrestle the future to be what we think it should be. Yes, it's definitely, it's something I've had to learn how to do and constantly remind myself every day because I make work that requires intense planning and lots of structure, 
but at the same time, I have to remember that tomorrow is tomorrow, and that um, it's it's hard to overplan, even though I live a very planned life. I don't know if that makes any sense, but mm-hmm. but uh, it's easy to get caught up in it all. Well, let's dig into a little, that a little bit more because I think that's an amazing paradox that um, people, what people might perceive performance art to be, you know, spontaneity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is that really what it's like? Because you, you spend a lot of time. I've talked to you before <laughs> in the planning process for those moments of, of seeming spontaneity. So, well, it's an impermanent art. So. That in itself lends to, you know, it's like the whole one hour photo. Um, That's what people used to think about photography. If you could drop your film off and have it ready in one hour, then obviously it's something that doesn't take very long. Um, Performance art for me in my practice is, is kind of, when you see it, you see it, and when it's over, it's over. So it seems very short lived, but my work, I have pieces that I've been working on for years that it could take me another 15, 20 years to get to the final execution. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first big piece, uh, like I said, it took a year of my life before I was able to do it. So it's, it's, a, it's a very studied practice. Um, the thing that I, that I like to do with my work though is that I, I do a lot of research, I do a lot of development, but I don't practice the piece prior to the day that it happens. So there is there is a very short-lived part of the experience as well. So it's a little bit of both, I guess. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, permanence and impermanence. You know, the, your stereotypical artist really wants to make a mark on the world, whereas your mark is, is impermanent. Yeah, it's, a, it's interesting to go from a medium that is 2D, you hang it on a wall, there's archival, approach to it and then you know there's a lot of discussion as to what happens to performance art when it's over and it lives on through the same mediums that I used to use in my professional life through videography photography but really I consider a good practiced piece uh, a good a good executed piece will live on in a memory of another individual for forever, hopefully, for the rest of their lives. So what people call an impermanent work, and and that's what I call it too, has the possibility of being permanent for another individual. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what I hope. That's uh, the difference that I've found for performance art as a whole, is that through action and being human, and through actually direct action uh, in front of another person, they get to hold on to that and it's a little bit more personal and it becomes a piece of them as well as, and as much as it is a piece of me. <clears throat> so making a mark on the world, actually affecting another person, which I guess is, is what art is about. It's certainly one of the things that art's about anyway. You know, in a, in a um, disposable society, you know, where, where we're all wanting instant gratification at the same time, we want something to affect us and to, be, and to find meaning. Yes. Uh, it's a good question. It's a good topic of conversation. For, for a disposable society, it's, it's always been, you know, I've done pieces based around that concept about how, especially in American society, how we just, 
We can't hold on to things for very long, yet if you put the right substance in front of people, they will pay attention. And they will pay attention for longer than even I anticipated. I was able to hold the attention of a crowd for 48 hours. And to be able to keep the interest of people in 48 hours is to use the human condition. Now, that's one thing that can never be disposable. Why do you make art? <laughs> if I don't make art, then I'm just not a nice human being. <laughs> <laughs> no, truly, um, I tried everything but being an artist. Uh, I was very creative as a small child. Uh, I did a lot of music. I did theater. As a community activist, when I consider that in itself an own, its own art form. Um, I tried everything I could. I went into sports. I played sports in college. Uh, I thought I would become a doctor, and nothing fit. And then I got back into art, and it's just, I don't believe that you get to choose art, is that art chooses you from the beginning, and uh, so I make it because I have to. Let's talk about the being in a box of 48 hours. Sure. <laughs> um, I kind of want to ask where the inspiration for these things come from. Is it internal or external or some combination? Uh, it depends on, a lot of it depends on, because a piece of it is always directly from my own existence. But one of my main goals is to make sure that it resonates with the community that's going to digest it. So this particular, that particular piece, which was called Visible Shell, uh, the concept was built around myself originally, which was basically the inability to sit still in today's society and that to show emotions in America is considered a weakness. And after doing some research, I realized that that's actually a very common thread that in our society and specifically American society that those two things are just kind of common thread. And so I decided I wanted to put it to the test and the way that I decided to do that was to put myself completely, completely on display and to do it for what I considered was a good time window, which was, uh, I guess for some people would have been three hours, but for me, I decided it needed to be 48. And I put myself on view for 48 hours and I sat. I did nothing but sit and write. And I went through a lot of, an array of emotions that I typically would have, well, I would have liked to have had happen behind a closed door, but uh, I left myself on view. And uh, that's kind of, that was the point. I like to push myself to emotional boundaries uh, in hopes that I get to connect with other people on an emotional level. And so the idea just kind of was born out of how I see society, how I see myself, and where I think we can make changes. Well, I'd like to know where we can make changes. <laughs> well, me too some days, but, but. Uh, so, so are you in control of this process? I mean, that sounds, it's called extreme for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably, uh, despite the planning, and I, I believe there's doctors and uh, medical staff involved in that and others, but at the end of the day, it was you inside there for, for two days. What's 
do you maintain control? Do you expect to have control over the process or is it always the unexpected? Um, it's both. If I do my job right and I do it well, and I consider, I put a lot of expectations on myself as an artist. I think creativity is something that you should take very seriously, which is funny because a lot of people consider creativity something that's not serious, but uh, I find it to be quite the opposite. Because if you plan properly and you do everything you can, then there is less chance of things to go to the left or to the right. But at the same time, it's life. So I am at the mercy of the, of the weather. I'm at the mercy of my volunteers. I'm at the mercy of my audience. If, uh, if I don't connect with them, then uh, I didn't do my job. So you can only plan so much and then leave it up to leave it up to everybody around you. You went inside the um, the, the box. I think you were writing um, a phrase over and over again. I was. So, do you want to talk about a little bit about what that was? Uh, sure. So that was not predetermined. I figured the first thing, once I got locked in, the very first thing that I wrote, the first sentence, would be the sentence that I had to write for the next 48 hours. Um, thankfully, the sentence that I wrote, A, wasn't too complicated, and B, I found to be uh, relatively revealing for the piece itself. Uh, the sentence itself was, to see myself, I went inside my own shell. And I wrote just that sentence for, for two days. And what did you see? <laughs> if you don't mind sharing. It's, one of the strangest things was, on a, on a simple level, that your body is adaptable, that we adapt to especially uncomfortable surroundings. I started out in something, it was about five hours in, I'm guessing, because I didn't have a watch. But uh, I had a whistle blown every hour so that I could stand up for blood circulation in my legs. And the structure had become incredibly uncomfortable. But after about five hours, my body had adapted and had formed this comfort in its new environment. And that hard plastic chair didn't feel hard anymore. Nothing felt hard. It just felt I'd become relaxed, at least for the next 10, 15 hours. And then as the exhaustion grew on and the, uh, the lack of eating, the only thing that I was putting in my body at that point was water, I hit a moment of pure joy, serenity, centering. I don't think I'll ever properly be able to describe it, but through absolute release, I found I found that moment, that instant of calm, that I kind of, I kind of think people search for in lots of different ways, and it took me putting myself into a structure that was so confining to find peace, which mm. is, which is always been a question that I've asked myself ever since I came out. So I saw, I saw myself, and I saw. I saw serenity, I guess. We were talking about the desert earlier um, off camera um, about West Texas and how serene it is out there and whether there's desert people or not. I don't know whether there's any connection, but um, 
you know, maybe in the wide open spaces and then in the confined spaces, you the space to to roam out, to yourself to roam out. Yeah, it's a, I never thought I would, as we were talking off camera, I never thought that I would be a desert person. I grew up in New England. I grew up in, in a place that is confined. When you stand in the forest, you can hardly see the sky. But getting to go to a vast open space, it's, it's in its way, in its own way, it's confining because you feel so small. Mm. And to realize how, how vast and, and contained we are and in the environment in which we live, there's a sense of peace out there that, that I never would have expected. So I guess no matter what kind of box you put yourself in, even what appears to not be a box, there's, there's an adaptable comfort. So what about aesthetics? Um, you've come from being a photographer. Um, do you, does aesthetics transfer over? What, what, do you have a sense of, of, of beauty that you see that transfers over to performance art or to life in general? I think some of the, the basic grounding of aesthetics that I have found in my work is consistent. Um, for instance, I did a video series last year, and after going through my body of work from me being a very young photographer, I found almost the exact same still image of what I had shot in video, mm. which I found incredibly revealing because there was about 15, 16 years between those pieces. And it's a, uh, I don't think you ever get, how do I describe it? You're never not yourself. And so for my own aesthetic, it follows me. It evolves. Uh, it's evolved into new mediums. It's evolved into a little bit more maturity. Um, it's not as raw as it once was, but that's kind of the beauty of it. It gets to move along with you the same way age does. But the root of it all is still the exact same way you were born. At least for me. That's my journey. What is love? <laughs> That's like the most difficult question that somebody could ask, but, <laughs> but I'll give it a go. Um, for me, love is complete acceptance. Mm -hmm. It is unconditional. It is, yeah, it, acceptance and unconditional. You can't really, you put those two things together along with understanding and the ability to compromise and wanting to compromise. You find a peace and a joy of love, if I had to define it. Well, as the song goes, all you need is love and Always interested to find out what people think love is. What is it from their perspective? Um, so this series is about creativity, and um, so what is creativity? <laughs> <laughs> is the is the million dollar question to kick off our series? Well, creativity. Um, I'll start with the fact that people always all the pe all the people around me when I hear the statement. Oh, well, I'm not a creative. You know, you're the artist. You understand creativity. 
And I always get kind of frustrated with that statement because I believe to be human is to be creative and creativity resides within that. Now there's a scale of creativity, sure. There's a scale of aesthetics, sure. But if you had to break creativity down to its purest form, in my definition is the ability to solve a problem. Problem solving. Uh, in, in my art, you know, if you take Visible Shell, for instance, I wanted to digest why I couldn't sit still. I wanted to digest why I had a problem with displaying emotions in a public environment. So to solve that problem, I did it. And I do it through an art form. But creativity is that, it's critical thinking, it's problem solving, but it's doing it outside the box. Do you find that there's any interaction between, do you consider yourself an extrovert or introvert? <laughs> <laughs> I'm an extroverted introvert. <laughs> or or Myers-Briggs would call me an INFJ. Oh, that Myers-Briggs. <laughs> What's that all about? I don't know. I just took the test and that's what they said. So. Yeah. Before or after coffee, I think the answer might be different. But yeah. <laughs> No, I'm definitely, I, I'm an introvert. For the people that know me the most and that are closest to my heart, understand that I'm actually a very quiet, quiet soul. And when I'm out in the world, I'm pretty loud. But my work tests my introvert soul. So I'm definitely an introvert that lives an extrovert's life. And is there a difference between artistry and creativity? Wow. Um, I definitely think that they're one and the same for some people. Artistry can be seen um, in what I do, in what other a dancer, a painter, and what, and you name the medium. There's an artistry in that work. But creativity also resides within artistry. But creativity also resides within humanity. Mm -hmm. Not all of humanity will get to artistry of a medium, but they, they, they walk hand in hand. Let's talk about community. I think you said at the start, um, you've got a community problem. Oh, it's huge. <laughs> Maybe explain about it a little bit about <laughs> what, what that is. Um, even when I was a little girl, I just didn't understand, or rather, I, I did understand that a collective voice that comes together as one is far more powerful than one standing in a corner on its own. I believe that one can make a difference, but the way to do that is through community. So if you wag a, a cause in front of my face that, tap, that taps into my heart, or I see a place where I can make a difference, and there's a, a group that maybe I could bring together that could use some representation, uh, I do it. And uh, that's why I said everywhere I look, I see the possibilities of extending community and community outreach. And uh, 
I have a I have a no problem. <laughs> it's a it's a word I'm not very good at using, but it's taking me to some amazing places. And uh, I mean, we wouldn't have met mm -hmm. right if it hadn't been for my love for community and what I see here in Dallas and what community is capable of. So when you were uh, a young girl, I, I've heard before that you'd said that you wanted to be a Renaissance girl or woman when you, when you grew up. Yes. Uh, what did you mean by that? And uh, Are you a Renaissance woman? <laughs> well, when I was a little girl, everybody, I didn't understand why you had to choose whether you wanted to be this or that or, and I had learned of this, I don't even know where it came from. I was, when we say little girl, I'm talking little, low elementary school. And I just knew I wanted to be a Renaissance woman. And as I got older, I started to really kind of digest what that meant. And I think now, because when you ask me, what is, what do you do? And the fact that I can't really answer that question, I'm gonna say that I'm heading in the right direction but I want to be able to look back at my life and to be able to give that a definitive yes. Connecting this with the, the community problem that we just discussed, is there a... Um, does Renaissance uh, extend out to, to working with other people? I guess it does. In a sense, um, for me it does. It's led me down, like I said I was an introvert, and it's led me down many paths to do so many different things that my life wouldn't have touched otherwise. That continues to expand my experience, continues to expand my knowledge and my growth. And I think to live the life of a Renaissance woman is to seek knowledge and to grow everywhere you can, anytime you can. And because community is everywhere, I get to do amazing things, and they're never the same. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about Dallas in a second. I definitely want to come back to the place that, that we're at um, and, and talk about that. Um, do you, you also said, I, I think earlier on, that you are uh, weird getting weirder. <laughs> is, yeah. is, is there because we're, we're, we're talking about creativity here and, and I fear that our, our setup that we might have here may, may perpetuate a myth that creativity is about something different and being weird and strange and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, what did you self-describe as weird getting weirder? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, from, from the moment I was born, I was just different. Not different in a bad sense, but I was different in, I was small, um, really small, and I didn't do what proper babies do, so the doctors thought, you know, I was off. Um, they used a whole bunch of different terms, but I kind of headed down the journey, down the path of already being different, and I just like to use the word weird. I really like to call myself a weirdo. Um, I consider that a compliment, mm -hmm. and I think weird is to be different, and different is to be challenged, and different is, again, to be outside the box. And so from weird to weirder, 
it's a it's a journey that I hope I always get to take. Mm. It's meant great things. Um, people have always had really high expectations for me, and it took. Well, we go back to what we were talking about: happy accidents. It took a major failure in my life to continue and put myself back on the weird path because I was heading down a path that just wasn't right for me. So to be from weirder, weirder, every time I try to steer myself off course of weird, I end up right back on there. And I think being performance artist has definitely classified me in the, I'm definitely in the weird category now, which means I must be doing something right. What question did you really hope I would ask by now? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know how much I can reveal of what, what we're doing right now. Um, but uh, I'm really glad I'm not that winded. <laughs> it's, uh, I didn't know what to expect from any of this, Brad. I went to it thinking that we would talk about community a little bit and probably a little bit about performance art. But... Uh, I don't know, the meaning of things, um, maybe about the future, maybe where's Dallas going to be in the next five years, things like that. Um, but then again, like I said, I walked into this literally blindly, so I'm waving a hand in front of my face and trying to make sure that I walk at the same time. Um, but but uh, no, we kind of touched base on a lot of topics. What have you What have you not asked me yet that I should? Well, be? I want to know what question you don't want me to ask. <laughs> um, it's not that I don't want you to ask. It's more a topic that people don't talk about. Um, I'd be more than happy to talk about if if there is room for the discussion of why my work revolves around mental health so much. And, and how mental health and creativity kind of go hand in hand in a lot of ways. Do mental health and creativity go hand in hand in which sense? Um, I think a lot of creatives struggle uh, with emotion. I think making work is a medicine that a lot of people, I mean, you asked earlier, like, uh, why do you make work? I mean, it's because I have to was the answer, but there's two, there's two sides to that coin. One of it is it keeps me a sane human being as somebody who struggles with their own mental health. It's, it's something I recognize and I see in other artists. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people that deal with loss of friends due to mental health, but it's, it's far more rampant in the, the creative community, I definitely see a bigger thread there than I do in other aspects of the world. Um, I've seen it both in the, the music industry and the visual arts, for sure, so I definitely think there's a, a connection. And you say your work um, revolves around that. Do you see there's a solution to it, or is this the part of the solution to bring this out into the open and allow people to... I think, uh, yeah, a large part of the solution is is to break stigmas mm -hmm. and to have the conversation. You know, when I said 
that I was weird and or I don't mind using the word crazy, which actually offends a lot of people, but for me, I'm totally fine with it. Because, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I talked about it, people literally stared at you as if you would just change colors of some kind. You know, all of a sudden you were a purple human being. And now it's just a hushed topic. And so I think through my work, I've been able to tap into comfort for other people to discuss and to accept and to realize they are not alone and that it's okay. I think art can be, art is a very powerful voice. And it, that's another reason why I said I take my work very seriously because there's a lot of strength and power in the voice of creativity. And creativity can be used as a tool for all kinds of things. And, and I choose to use, most of the time, my work as a tool towards breaking stigmas in mental health. Mental health, it's, it's a really widespread uh, issue. I, I know there's the, the, the kind of stereotypical tortured artist. Um, sure. And th those people do exist. I, I've met a, a couple of them and I can certainly relate to them. And, there's, there's certainly a lot of tortured business people as well and, and uh, tortured um, non-profit workers as well. And I, I wonder the acuteness in the... Um, there, there certainly seems to be a movement to dropping a, the identity, you know, the work identity that a lot of us hold up as being a, a shell, <laughs> to use the earlier term, and to try and get beyond that. So. I wonder, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know the answer to this, whether it's more acute with, with, with artists or just artists more open with that or, or, or more flexible in their identity that they can talk about that, I don't know. Well, I don't think it's about the ability to talk about it. I think that art is just to really tap into, and this isn't true of every artist, but for most of the artists that I've met over the years, to tap into your work is to tap into vulnerability. Vulnerability is something that a lot of people want to shy away from in their life. And the minute you tap open vulnerability, you've kind of cracked the shell on everything else. Mm. And once you've cracked that shell, it's kind of hard to put it back together, which leaves, it just leaves a raw state of emotion out on the table. And you can either work through it with your work or you can get lost in it with your work. I guess that could be true of the whole world, but I noticed in, in a creative environment that, you know, I've, I've lost a lot of friends. And uh, they just, they, they couldn't find it. They couldn't put that shell back together. I want to bring this back to community in Dallas now, because I think we're, um, this is probably a good segue into, into this. Um, what is the state of community in the, in the world today? And in, in, <laughs> in Dallas, are you in good shape or is it a little bit patchy? Oh, well, I mean, if you'd asked me that question two years ago and you asked me it now, rather a year ago, uh, I would have a different answer. Mm. But, but I'd say right now, I'll start with Dallas. I think from a cultural standpoint, we're actually in a very, very interesting kind of place with the city because the city is talking 
on a cultural level. We're currently in the process of developing a new cultural plan, which artists are really getting excited about having a collective voice. Collective voices bring stronger community. Uh, I think the growth in our city has created both positive and negative reactions. Both positive and negative, they're both community. Uh, so I think, I think our community's strength has grown. And I think our voices, especially the voices of the youth, are, they're in good shape. They're really, really doing great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, as far as the community and the rest of the country, I don't even, <laughs> why am I, I, there's the question I was scared that you might ask. It's a, it's a one I can't really answer. You know, it's like community to me is those that surround you directly mm -hmm. and the place that you can make the most effective change. And uh, the minute you expand beyond that, you lose sight of your own feet and your feet. That's what keeps you grounded. Mm. Well, I've been surprised at the, um, that people watch this all around and listen to this all around the world. And, and I just imagine people sitting in some parts of Africa or, or Asia and, and there are people listening all around, literally in different places that are thinking about their own community and uh, maybe a bit despondent about, I, I don't know, and maybe wanting to get more involved in the community and, and to, to, to do something or, or alternatively thinking that they want to disconnect and, and kind of give up. What's, the, what's your advice? It's a, uh, I can understand the feeling of wanting to give up. It's very, it's very enticing when things are feeling down or just not falling in the direction in which you wish things would go. But that's the exact moment that I would suggest you engage. And when I say I stay grounded to the feet that are around me, which is my direct community, we all make up hives in that we live. And hives work together. And so if you're feeling discouraged, find the things you love. Go find the people that love the things that you love. See what could happen. For me, it's taken me from weird to weirder. And I hope that I get to the place where I'm just absolutely the weirdest. But <laughs> community is community is where it's at. It's uh, not only changed my life, but it's saved my life numerous times. And I think there's strength and power and hope in that. So let's talk a little bit about Dallas before it seems to, to be a hard topic to, to give up <laughs> in the, in a, um, I usually ask the guests how to explain Dallas to people that don't live here, maybe even to people that do live here. Um, well, it's funny because Dallas was a place that I had a very certain, I had a very, I thought it was a certain thing, as most people do that are not from here. And that part exists. But it's such a small part of this city. This city is full of some of the most amazing people I've ever, ever known. And I've been in a lot of places in my life. And being a Yankee and coming to the South, uh, this city is, it's growth, it's change, it's healing, it's beautiful. 
it is it is a place that I am super happy to call home. To the outside world, I like to describe Dallas as cooler than Austin. <laughs> That's something I actually hear a lot. Oh yeah, Texas, Austin. And uh, I try to really let people know that Dallas has a lot more to offer than people consider. It is a great place to be an artist. It don't get me wrong, I may be sounding like I belong to the Tourism Bureau right now, but it has its own barriers. But if we weren't having thousands of people move here on a regular basis, it would, it, it's kind of proof is in the pudding. There's something going on here. There's something in the water. And uh, Dallas, Dallas is kind of an open, open hand, open, open arms. Uh, what sort of projects, what of your own projects uh, do you, would you like to talk about or, or other people's projects that you want to oh, well, tell the viewers and listeners about? I guess, like I said, I have projects planned for the next 20 years, so I plan on staying very busy. <laughs> um, but I have finished, for the most part, designing my big project for this year, which is, which is relief. I did, I showed seven times last year. Um, if I ever say that out loud again, um, just just slap me. It's a it was a terrible idea, but it was a beautiful year. So this year I'm, t I'm dialing it back to one piece, and I have found it very interesting because we're sitting here talking about community and the ability for a collective to move as one, and uh, that's the exact. I'm we're we're traveling without moving, and I'm creating a piece called Move, um, which everything there's a synergy in in the world around you and i find my work to to it defines itself through those i talk to and even this conversation you know it's like i've stepped into the piece several times while we were talking mm. and while we're stepping and it's it's the fact that that i can't see has has helped me already advance mm. a piece it's a uh, by taking things away it's it's been able to allow me to see. So I've actually traveled in my mind quite a bit mm. and I look forward to to getting to bring move to to Dallas this summer. And it might be the first piece that I take to another state. I've literally kept my work here on purpose. And uh, I think this may be the year that I travel, but proudly say I'm a Dallas artist. But uh, we'll see what a collective whole can do together. Like I said, there's no practice in the work that I do. And since community is so important to me, uh, I have anywhere from 20 to 30 people performing with me on this one without them getting to practice as well. Mm. And we have to move in sync. And if we don't, it fails. And that's just, that's kind of how I feel about that's kind of my mantra, you know, it's like through good leadership and through good understanding of those around you, kind of anything's possible. So that's where I'm digging this year, not only in my work, but in my, in my performance as well. So is, is 2018, is, is it a thumbs up year? Or is every year really a thumbs up year? <laughs> the size no. of the thumb? <laughs> no, the thumb goes up and down. Just like, I mean, I'm human. Mm. You know, there are years when New Year's Eve is a party because it's gone. <laughs> um, 
but but 2018s are interesting. I have a lot of challenging projects this year, uh, stretching into some categories that I love dearly, and I get to do on a giving back to artists is something that means the world to me, and being able to create new experiences for artists. It, it means a lot to me to create my own work, but there's something about seeing the look on an artist's face that you were able to help. Like, I'm a big, big ninny. I cry over everything. And so um, 2018 has already brought a lot of happy tears. And uh, for, it, for it just now being March, I'd say 2018 is doing all right. But uh, to, to be honest, why don't we ask that question again in December? Mm. Well, I think we should. I think we should. I've got a good feeling about this year. I, I don't know. I mean, 2017 was quite tough for many reasons. Uh, and I think people have gone, okay, <laughs> I've, I've had enough of that. I'm just going to carry on and do some, create my own project. You know, I've, I've, this year's got a nicer feel about it, a more positive feel. And it I think does. It's not just um, from trying to delude <laughs> or ourselves collectively. Um, I think it's actually because a lot of people are doing a lot of good things. And it all seems to be coming together in a nice wave of, of um, I don't know, of, of action-backed positivity and action-backed um, change, I guess. I think we had no choice. You know, it's like last year was survival. Last year for me was just... There was a lot of fear in last year, and this year I agree with you. It's it's uh, we had to go about our business. We had to find positivity again and find hope. And uh, so I'm hoping for a thumbs up year as well. <laughs> okay, I think the the last thing. Um, so total up completes really about I, I guess um, feeling alive and, and making a difference and living without regret. So. If there's any final words that you want to share with people that are watching this and listening around the world? Yeah. Um, make sure you do something that you're scared of every day. To live with no regrets is to... For me, regret is formed because I allowed fear to win. Um, I wake up just about every morning scared. And I do it anyway. And that's when, you know, that's living for me. And that's how I have, now, I'm not saying I have a life without regrets because that would be a lie. But to reduce my regrets, I face fear. I don't just walk into it, but I create it and walk into it. And I recommend that. If you're doing something you're scared of at least once a day, then there's growth, and whenever there's growth, there's less chance for regret. I hope that means something to someone. I know it means something to me every day. Thanks for having me. To stay up to date on everything Total Life Complete, follow us on Facebook or at www.tlcpod.com. Now this season there's going to be a lot more live events and surprises, so the best way to stay in touch is to follow us and you'll be notified of everything exciting coming up. <laughs>